This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Attorney General William Barr is stepping down two weeks after saying in an interview that there was no evidence of significant voter fraud in the 2020 election. It's the culmination of an increasingly sour relationship with President Donald Trump. The Justice Department has been buffeted in recent years by Trump's criticism of it and attempts to politicize it. So who will Joe Biden pick as his attorney general? Joining me is former federal prosecutor Robert Mintz, a partner in McCarter in English. Bob, how much damage has been done to the Justice Department during the last four years? Damage to its inner workings and the public's perception of its integrity and credibility. Almost from the outset of the Trump administration, there have been allegations that the president has attempted to exert political influence over decisions made by the Department of Justice and its attorney general. Historically, the Department of Justice acts independently of the president because the Department of Justice is often investigating individuals who may have some political connections to the president or to the president's political party. So it's important that those decisions are made by individuals who have no connection directly to the president, and there must be an appearance that the Department of Justice is making decisions solely on the basis of the merits of these cases and not for any other reasons. Many attorney general's offices have been accused of being politicized, and there's certainly an element of politics in all this. But just how politicized has the Trump Justice Department been? Attorney General Barr has been criticized for being overly political. And in the past, all attorney generals, or certainly the most recent ones, have all been accused of at times making decisions that were more political than legal. But in this case, critics have said that Mr. Trump made clear almost from the outset that he viewed the Department of Justice and the FBI as organizations that should be acting in his best interest and not necessarily in the interest of the country. He repeatedly pressured the attorney general, for example, to investigate Mr. Biden, to investigate former President Barack Obama, to investigate former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, only to be frustrated when Attorney General Barr didn't comply. But there are instances that Mr. Barr did succumb to the pressure that was being applied by Mr. Trump. For example, Mr. Barr did move to reduce the sentencing recommendation for the president's longtime friend and advisor, Roger Stone. He assisted the president, at least according to his critics, in overturning the guilty pleas of the president's former national security advisor, Michael T. Flynn. This was done over the objections of career prosecutors, some of whom even resigned in protest over this decision. And then Mr. Trump ultimately went even further by commuting the sentence of Mr. Stone after he was convicted and sentenced to jail. More recently, it's interesting that the president has soured on Attorney General Barr. Mr. Trump had been calling the election a fraud and saying that mail-in voting was not reliable, and yet there was nothing but silence out of the Department of Justice until recently when Mr. Barr came out and actually said that he saw no evidence of voting fraud. What kind of qualities and background should a new attorney general have? The decision of who to appoint as attorney general is one of the most consequential that any president makes in his or her cabinet. It's important because the attorney general has so much power over so many important decisions that affect the lives of Americans. Typically, 
The president will pick somebody who they know, who they trust, but it's also important that that person acts independently. And so there's the balancing act. Somebody who the president believes in, who the president believes has good, sound judgment and will act in the best interest of the country. But also, there has to be the perception that the attorney general is not so close to the president that the attorney general is not acting in the best interest of the country and maybe shading decisions in a way that might be politically beneficial to the president. One of the people discussed as a possible candidate for attorney general is Sally Yates, the former deputy attorney general in the Obama administration. One of the top contenders is Sally Yates, who was fired by President Trump for refusing to defend his executive order banning entry to the United States for those from Muslim-majority countries. She is one of the people who a lot of career prosecutors uh, currently in the office and former federal prosecutors like because she knows the inner workings of the office. She'll hit the ground running. She's well-versed in the big national security threats that are currently facing the country. And she also has a strong civil rights record, which is something that is clearly going to be a top priority for the Biden administration. The main challenge in tackling these civil rights issues is going to be to find somebody who has credibility both in the civil rights community, but also with police, because ultimately, at the end of the day, in order to achieve any progress in this area, you have to work with both civil rights advocates and also police officers who are on the front line in dealing with crime. So she's somebody who many people believe has those qualities and would make a good attorney general. Since civil rights, as you mentioned, and racial inequality is so much in the forefront these days, is it important to have someone of color, perhaps, in the role of attorney general? Well, there are some people who believe that someone of color should be the attorney general. Deval Patrick, the former governor of Massachusetts, is in the running, but doesn't seem to be a top contender at this point. President Biden seems to be looking to people that he knows and trusts and has, has some history with. And that may be why Deval Patrick is not on the top of the list. At the end of the day, you want somebody who has the trust of the people who are going to be involved in these issues. Someone of color would certainly be sending a message to the public and to the country that the department is going to be run by somebody who is going to be sensitive to civil rights issues. But it's most important that the person has the trust of both sets of parties here, both the civil rights advocates and law enforcement, because that's the way progress is going to be made. Senator Doug Jones has been mentioned a great deal as a possibility. How do you see his chances? Doug Jones, the senator from Alabama, is a former U.S. attorney. He won a special election in 2017, but was recently defeated for the United States Senate in Alabama, which is a deeply Republican state. But he's at the top of the list because he's known Joe Biden for 40 years. He's also someone who has some credibility within the civil rights community because as the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Alabama, he prosecuted two Ku Klux Klan members involved in 1963 church bombings in Birmingham. He also has the virtue of somebody who is most likely to receive Senate confirmation. Having spent one term in the United States Senate, he reached across party lines and actually has some significant reports from Republicans. So if President-elect Biden is looking to pick somebody who is most easily going to be confirmed, Doug Jones may be at the top of that list. The U.S. attorney in Delaware has disclosed that there's an investigation into Hunter Biden for possible tax crimes. How much does that complicate Biden's selection of an attorney general? 
this certainly ratchets up the pressure on the appearance of somebody who is going to be impartial, who's going to be independent, and is going to have some distance from the White House. The fact that there is a current investigation into a member of the president's immediate family is not something that the country has never faced. For example, Jimmy Carter's brother, Billy Carter, was investigated for lobbying for the government of Libya while he, uh, Jimmy Carter was president. Uh, George Bush's son, Neil Bush, was faulted by regulators in connection with the collapse of a savings and loan. And President Bill Clinton ultimately pardoned his own brother, Roger Clinton, for drug charges. So there is some history here for immediate family members of presidents being investigated while their family member is president of the United States. Mr. Trump's children have been caught up in multiple legal matters during his presidency. For example, during the investigation of special counsel Robert Mueller, there was an allegation that Donald Trump Jr. held a meeting with a Kremlin-connected lawyer during the 19 during the 2016 campaign. There was also an allegation regarding Jared Kushner, his son-in-law and senior advisor, who was stripped of his uh, top-secret security clearance. So there is this history here. At the end of the day, what matters most is that there is a feeling that whoever is the Attorney General, and ultimately, however this matter is handled by the Attorney General's office, it is done fairly, impartially, and without political influence. So on one level, President-elect Biden has already stated that one of his major missions with the Department of Justice is to restore integrity, to restore the morale of members of the Department of Justice, and to restore the public's faith that the Department of Justice is acting independently and is not simply an arm of the White House. But certainly, the announcement of this investigation into his son will put added pressure on anybody who's nominated for this position that during the confirmation process, we can expect that they'll be asked questions about how they will handle this investigation going forward. Some people are suggesting that the new attorney general appoint a special counsel to handle the Hunter Biden matter in order to cabin off the politically sensitive case. Are we appointing too many special counsels? Should the Justice Department just be able to handle these kinds of cases? There's been a history of appointing special counsel in any case in which there is an allegation that there's a conflict of interest between the Department of Justice and the investigation. So it happens all the time, but there has been some concern that there have been too many special counsels appointed and that the Department of Justice ought to be able to handle politically sensitive investigations on their own through a number of means. For example, anybody who's involved in the case in some way recuses themselves from that case. You can have career prosecutors who run these cases. There have been past examples where the U.S. attorney from the prior administration is allowed to stay on into the next administration to complete that investigation. That's exactly what happened, for example, during the investigation into John Edwards. Eric Holder, who was then the attorney general for Barack Obama, allowed the current U.S. attorney in North Carolina, who was investigating the John Edwards case, to stay on, even though he was a Republican appointee, until he completed that investigation. So many people believe that there are many mechanisms in place that will allow the Department of Justice to handle any kind of political, politically sensitive investigation without necessarily going so far as to appoint a special counsel. Looking at it in the most simplistic terms, is it basically Joe Biden just going back in time four years with the Justice Department, or does he need to do more to overcome what's happened in the last four years? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think the answer is more has to be done because we're not now today where we were four years ago. There has been so much unprecedented criticism of both the career people within the Department of Justice, career people at the FBI, that there's been a real erosion of confidence that the public has in these institutions. And it's really important for the Department of Justice to function well, for the FBI to function properly, for federal prosecutors to be able to take cases to trial that people believe that they're acting in good faith. They may not be perfect, and that's not to say that prosecutors don't occasionally make mistakes. They do, but there really needs to be the belief that they're acting in the pursuit of justice and that they're not acting for some ulterior political motive. And so in order to restore that faith, I think the Department of Justice and whoever the next attorney general will be will have to take extraordinary steps to try to bring people back to a place where they believe that the Department of Justice is fair, that those career people in the office are doing what's right for the country, and that ultimately the goal here is to pursue justice and nothing less and nothing more. There are questions about how the new Department of Justice should handle investigating President Trump or his inner circle. And some people have said that Biden has no appetite for investigating Trump and bringing that into his administration. But others say that the department has to pursue criminal cases without fear or favor. What's your take on that question? One of the most interesting challenges for the new Department of Justice will be the question of whether or not they will pursue any investigations into President Trump or his immediate family. There are those who say that nobody is above the law and that those investigations need to be impartially pursued, whether there is anything ultimately to them or not. We just don't know at this point. But there are also others, including President-elect Biden, who wants to turn the page on this and move forward. I think there are some who understand that any investigation into the Trump administration at this point will be so divisive and will further erode confidence that people have in the Department of Justice. And so that will be the ultimate question as they bounce decisions about whether to pursue those cases or whether to simply move on and bring the Department of Justice into the next phase where it's forward-looking, trying to restore confidence that is pursuing cases for reasons of justice only. Thanks for being on the Bloomberg Law Show, Bob. That's former federal prosecutor Robert Mintz, a partner at McCarter and English. Attorney General William Barr is stepping down with a little more than a month left in the Trump administration. Barr crossed President Trump on two issues in recent weeks an investigation into Joe Biden's son and Trump's unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election. My guest is Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. Barr was one of Trump's greatest allies until he wasn't. Do we know the full story yet of what happened to cause him to resign, or might we not know for a while? I certainly think it could be some time until we get the full details out. I think it's certainly possible that William Barr was frustrated for a while about the president's public remarks that were sort of disrupting and interfering in Justice Department uh, investigations and operations. We saw that when the Roger Stone matter came out, where the president was constantly tweeting about it and trying to publicly pressure the Justice Department to go easy on his former friend and ally, Roger Stone, and Barr went public about that, about the frustrations. 
And we've seen that again going into the election and now in the aftermath with all the voter fraud conspiracies, that while William Barr certainly was a ideological ally of the president when it came to the power of the executive branch and its sort of ability to uh, insulate itself from outside scrutiny, there were limits to what even he was willing to do, especially when it came to the idea of trying to pursue some voter fraud prosecution when the evidence simply isn't there. And that obviously is what brought this to an end for him. What do you make of the toadying in his resignation letter? I think that certainly, you know, William Barr wanting to keep things civil and on, you know, a uh, cooperative uh, public face with the president. I mean, that's very much what people in this administration tend to do when they still have a desire to, to stay in Donald Trump's good graces. You, you talk him up, you flatter him, you talk about how great he is and how great everything he did was and how everyone who went after him was evil and basing it all off, you know, uh, lies. So if William Barr still wants to be able to give speeches or write books or host any kind of events to, you know, still have a career, not that he hasn't had already an illustrious one, but to still be able to make money going forward in the next few years, then he needed to stay in Donald Trump's good graces, and that's what that letter did. Besides Barr's statements to AP about the validity of the election, another thing that angered President Trump is that Barr didn't publicly announce the ongoing two-year investigation into Hunter Biden before Election Day. And right now, AP is reporting that Trump has already consulted on the matter with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and White House Counsel Pat Cipollone to see whether or not he can put a special counsel in to investigate Hunter Biden. Yes. So, and again, this was one of those things where William Barr's whole thing was about restoring the order and sort of the integrity of the Justice Department. He felt that politics had become too imbued in it. The Bureau in particular with James Comey and Andrew McCabe, whether or not it's true or not. And he felt that the Justice Department under Loretta Lynch had gotten a little too close to the political side. And so that was sort of his view as how to bring it back in line. Um, and so when the president got uh, was pushing, whether it was, all, I'm sure it was done privately as well, but also, you know, publicly to have details about this Hunter Biden probe disclosed, that would run against everything William Barr had stood for, especially this was what had led to all, all the criticism of James Comey. We actually served as part of the basis for uh, the former deputy attorney general to to write that memo ordering Comey fired over having gone public about the details of the Clinton investigation in 2016 making public overt moves on that investigation in the final days of the 2016 election, which a lot of political data analysts said helped uh, to push Trump over the top in those final days with independents and sort of the uh, uh, persuadable moderate Republicans. And so to have gone public with the Hunter Biden details, whether it was in 2019, long before the election itself, and simply to disclose the existence of an investigation, which is something DOJ doesn't do, or to have specifically done it in the final weeks of the election in violation of those very rules that had cost James Comey his job would have just defied everything William Barr stood for. So I'm sure that was part of what pushed him again over the edge saying, this is what I'm trying to restore. Whether or not there was anything to restore or not is a separate discussion. But this is what he was trying to stand for with the department and the president's um, public remarks were undermining that. One also questions why there's been a two-year investigation into Hunter Biden over taxes. That seems pretty political. 
So looking at the reporting, and obviously we only know about what's come out from the reporting, it sounds like the original scope of the investigation was broader than the taxes. It sounds like there was a money laundering aspect, a potential foreign lobbying, and all manner of issues tied to Hunter Biden's somewhat questionable private industry activities over the last few years, particularly in Ukraine. And of course, you know, that also came up in the context of the impeachment saga and the president trying to extort the Ukrainian president to launch a public investigation. So it's certainly not surprising that the Justice Department would have had an original, rather large, wide-ranging inquiry into this. But from the sounds of it, all that's left, all that they think is worthy of continued investigation is whether or not there is a tax matter here. And certainly committing a criminal tax felony is a serious issue. And if that is what Hunter Biden did, then he should face all manner of criminal liability and scrutiny for that. And he'll have his day in court. But the original concept and everything that the Trump team was trying to push out on Hunter Biden, that this was all tied to money for Joe Biden in the end, none of that seems to be playing out in this DOJ probe. Brad, one of the greatest unrestrained powers that Trump has left now is the pardon power. And there's speculation that there's a January surprise being planned and that that was a reason why Barr might have wanted to get out as well. But after pardoning former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and commuting the sentence of Roger Stone, aren't we sort of expecting Trump to pardon anyone associated with the Mueller investigation? I think it'll even go further than that. But yeah, I think we can expect as we get into the final days of the Trump administration, when when you go past January 6th and any last stand that his allies in Congress will make to try to stop um, the certification of Joe Biden as the president-elect when he knows that he's on his final days, he'll use anything and everything he wants from that power to just lash out at what he needs the deep state and all the people who oppose him. So not only is it going to be, you know, the Rudy Giuliani's and his family and people like that, kind of preemptive pardons of any number of federal probes that could be going on into them, but I would look to see a pardon of Edward Snowden. That's been bandied about a lot. Potentially Julian Assange, who we know uh, was involved in leaking all the kinds of emails and documents in the 2016 election. And there's an ongoing fight over that. I would look for a range of highly controversial pardons that Donald Trump can put up as fighting back against the evil deep state and just having fun trolling everyone who opposed him, because that's Donald Trump in the end. Well, Barr has been there before. He recommended pardons for Iran-Contra figures at the end of George H.W. Bush's term that ended the investigation and so sort of insulated Bush. So I'm wondering whether the pardon that would really cause so much controversy that Barr might want to get out from under it before it happens is a self-pardon, that Trump might pardon himself. It's certainly possible that there's paperwork already been drafted and been researched, no doubt, by the White House Counsel's Office on whether or not a self-pardon would even work, whether it would hold up in court. I would be shocked if the president doesn't do it anyways, even if it ultimately doesn't hold up just to have exercised the power anyway, just to try and shield himself from it. And I'm sure that would, uh, to an extent, would even upset someone like William Barr. My assumption is that, that if there were incoming pardons that were truly upsetting William Barr, it's more along the lines of a potential one for Edward Snowden and Rudy Giuliani. I think those would truly have offended William Barr's particular sensibilities. Why pardon Edward Snowden? So the Snowden matter, because it's partially because it ties into the president's 
disdain for the intelligence community and his view that there's overclassification, which, of course, he never actually takes the steps to override, which he alone can do. He always backs down when it gets into court. Um, and his view that the intelligence community was always working against him and Edward Snowden, uh, with his disclosures back in 2013, had kind of taken the intelligence community out of the woodshed a bit, um, exposing some of the grand jewels of the NSA's um, surveillance uh, operations and capabilities. And so there would be, again, just the ability to stick it to people he felt never were really on his side by pardoning Edward Snowden. It would allow him to just jam one more, you know, uh, uh, stake into the backs of the intelligence community on his way out. And I think for him, he'd view that as great TV because then he could try to coordinate with uh, Vladimir Putin as a private citizen and help bring Edward Snowden back in some, you know, uh, arrival uh, ceremony live for TV. Barr's top deputy, Jeffrey Rosen, the deputy attorney general, will step into the Justice Department's top job in an acting role. Even though Rosen is not yet the acting attorney general, President Trump is already talking about replacing him. Brad, according to the Associated Press, Trump is considering whether to replace Rosen if he doesn't appoint a special counsel and has even asked his lawyers whether he has the power to appoint a special counsel himself. But the Hunter Biden investigation apparently involves several U.S. attorneys' offices and FBI field offices, so it's not so easy. I mean, there's limits to what he's going to be able to implement at this late stage and with so little time left. The president can, in theory, do lots of things. He can order investigations, but he can't prosecute criminal cases if that's what he really wants DOJ to do. He could pressure DOJ to appoint a special counsel to look into Hunter Biden. But in the end, unless he's going to literally draft up the order himself, there's little he can do to truly make these individuals do it. A lot of the ones who have the ultimate authority right now are political people who are expecting that they're out the door anyways in a few weeks. Uh, And in the end, they aren't going to feel much pressure in much at this point because they're already looking for where they're going to be come the beginning of February and are less concerned about trying to create some controversial order for a special counsel into the Hunter Biden matter. Finally, Barr has named Durham to serve as special counsel in the continuing FBI Russia probe. People have cited that as, you know, a parting gift from Barr to Trump, but Hasn't that probe really gone as far as it can? Is it going anywhere? Yeah, so I mean, when I saw that, I viewed it strictly as a as projection almost. And this, is, and this is very much what Donald Trump and Bill Barr do to some extent. They assume everybody else will act the way they would in terms of how they would assert power. Uh, Donald Trump assumes everybody else cheats on their taxes and it commits these power because he knows that's what he does. Um, and so with William Barr, there's a concern that Joe Biden would come in and just squash the investigation into Hunter Biden. There's no proof or evidence or reason to believe Joe Biden will do any of those things. And I would certainly oppose it if he did, and I'm sure others would too. But by creating the special counsel provision, he makes it, uh, the William Barr made it a little more difficult, a little more politically uh, risky for Joe Biden to try to take any steps to do so. And as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. If there's a crime there, prosecute the crime you want to write the report write the report but i don't see this going anywhere that the president and a lot of his allies view this as as you know somehow ensnaring people like joe biden there's just no there there 
Um, it might look bad. It might be politically damaging, but I don't see a crime outside of whatever Hunter Biden may have done with his taxes. Thanks, Brad. That's Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. Please tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg Radio. 